Welcome to the podcast that shares the views of high-level leaders in the European and global financial services industry. Welcome to Shaping Finance, a podcast which offers a platform to high-level decision-makers and shapers in international finance. My name is Nicolas Maquel. I'm the CEO of Luxembourg for Finance and the host of this podcast. For this very first episode of our new podcast series, I am delighted to welcome our guest, Pierre Gramigna, the Minister of Finance of Luxembourg. Minister Gramigna has held this office for six and a half years, in fact, since December 2013. Before that, he has led the Luxembourg Chamber of Commerce for 10 years, and before that, he has led a very distinguished career as a Luxembourg diplomat, uh, which also brought him to an ambassador's post in Japan and in Korea. Minister Gramigna is thus excellently placed to discuss with us the themes that we will put to him, such as the crisis we're currently seeing, the reaction of the Eurogroup, what it means for the global, the European and the national economy going forward, what it means for the future of globalization and where he sees the priority for the future. But here we go, um, Minister Gramigna. Minister Gramigna, the Eurogroup has been very active and very forceful in its response to this crisis. It has created a number of mechanisms, including the 750 billion recovery fund. Nevertheless, the picture that emerged was one of divisions. What would you recommend? What would you think that the Eurogroup would need to do in order to address further the crisis and second, uh, also the divisions that have emerged over the coming not only weeks, but months, because this obviously is a crisis that will be uh, with us for quite some time? This is uh, a very important uh, question for the coming months. Uh, when you look at uh, the uh, crisis, uh, the economic crisis that has been the consequence of the sanitary crisis, uh, in the beginning it looked like uh, Europe would not uh, meet the challenges and uh, particularly the Eurogroup uh, wouldn't uh, come up with the right answers. Uh, those who were pessimistic were proved wrong because uh, on April 9, uh, the Eurogroup uh, decided the three major measures for the short term, which in the meantime have been enacted. These three measures uh, are worth 540 billion euro, which is a very huge number. And uh, these measures have to do with short labor schemes. It's called SURE. They have to do with uh, uh, guaranteeing uh, loans of companies, which will be done by the European Investment Bank. And last but not least, very important, strengthening the role of the European stability mechanism. On top of it, the uh, Eurogroup decided uh, on the principle uh, of the recovery fund, uh, of which uh, uh, we have then discussed a lot, and uh, 750 billion euros uh, were there discussed and have to be uh, implemented. Now, um, the new uh, President uh, Pascal Donoghue uh, of Ireland, who will succeed uh, the Portuguese uh, Finance Minister Mario Centeno, will not have an easy task, uh, despite the fact that we have 
made major decisions to increase solidarity uh, inside uh, Europe. So I trust him to have the, the good hand and the right inspiration to bridge the gap between North and South and East and West. Uh, there's many ways in which you can do that, listening obviously to all the countries and also using the inclusive format of the Eurogroup, which means listening also very carefully to those countries that have not yet adopted uh, the Eurogroup. We now know that Bulgaria uh, and Croatia are now uh, in a phase to getting closer to the Eurogroup. So um, working in an inclusive format, I think, is uh, very important. And last and certainly not least, we must not forget that uh, the European Union has decided uh, in March to use the escape clause, uh, which uh, is foreseen in the treaties, and this escape clause allows us for 2020 uh, to put the Stability and Growth Pact in parentheses. Uh, this parenthesis uh, is open-ended for the time being. We don't know when this will be lifted, this second part. So will that happen progressively? Uh, what I want to say with this is that we will not be able to avoid a discussion of how we will reenact the Stability and Growth Pact. It will probably happen step by step, and that will be a very difficult discussion in the months to come. Mr. Gramenia, um, the sanitary crisis is still raging in many countries. Uh, numbers are spiking, numbers of infections are spiking, um, but we are not really looking at the medium to long term. And I think that uh, the picture that we need everybody to really get a good sense of is where are our economies going? Not uh, over the couple of weeks uh, between now and uh, autumn, but really in the medium to long term. What is your take on this? Yes, the uh, economic crisis uh, that is hitting all areas of the world is a severe one. Now, it is useless to point out if it is a, a tougher and deeper recession than back in the 20s or different or more important than the one that we lived through in 2008. Uh, what is important is to just look at facts and uh, build on confidence. Let me first uh, focus on facts. Uh, the recession uh, in the European uh, Union or in the Euro area will be between minus 8 to minus 9% in 2020. And the Commission calculates, and others too, that we have a uh, pickup of uh, the economy in 2021 of roughly 5, 6, 7%. Now, one must uh, look at this very bluntly. Uh, what does that mean? That means that in two years we will have no growth because uh, it's useless to be over-optimistic about the rebound of next year without taking into account the very deep negative rate of 2020. The other way round, it's useless to be over-pessimistic because as it is an exogenous crisis that uh, we've lived through because it all came through the virus, which nobody had on the radar. So very often in such cases, the pickup of the economy is faster. This being said, the second thing that we need to take into consideration, which makes me more optimistic, is that the financial sector uh, is doing much better right now than it did 10 years ago. Now, in fact, 10 years ago, the financial sector, financial services were the main problem and triggered 
an economic crisis. Now, this time we have, especially in European Union, thanks to the banking union and the decisions that the EU has taken over the years, a much more stable financial uh, sector on the one side, less non-performing loans uh, on the other side. And so, basically, what we need to realize is that banks are part of the solution. We need more loans for the economy, we need a qualitative jump of the economy, and this needs to be financed. And that's where the financial sector comes in. And Luxembourg is very well placed in, in that area, obviously, because we have an international financial center. And we have seen that the players in Luxembourg, the banks mainly, have done and taken up their responsibility uh, by uh, ensuring uh, that in the very short term, in the moratoria, they, they could uh, live up to the expectations. And the government has on its own uh, taken some decisions so that uh, loans would be guaranteed uh, to uh, help come out of the recession. So, uh, in a nutshell, I would say no need to be over-pessimistic and no need to undervaluate uh, uh, the, the risks uh, that we see ahead. Even before the COVID crisis uh, hit the world economy, there were trade wars on the horizon, which obviously impacted the uh, flow of globalization. But the COVID crisis has certainly um, emerged as one factor that will leave a very, very deep impact on it. How do you see globalization, whether for trade or for finances, going forward? Yes, this crisis uh, that has emerged uh, after the uh, virus uh, uh, is a very specific one, as we have not known one in the past. So some sectors suffer more than others. I think of tourism, I think restaurants, uh, events organizers, aviation, and I could mention a few others. I could mention the car industry, for example. Um, that's one thing to keep in mind. The second thing is that every time you have recessions, you have risks uh, of trade barriers growing uh, higher, uh, of temptation of uh, looking inwards. Now, uh, as you rightly mentioned, uh, there were already trade tensions prior to the COVID crisis. So these tensions have obviously uh, increased even more. Now, what must be avoided is to just mix up all ideas and put globalization as such into question. Globalization has allowed us to reduce poverty in the last couple of decades in a way that has never happened in the past. It has raised the standard of living of quite a few uh, uh, countries and people. But and that's my second point, uh, this crisis has highlighted that maybe we should uh, uh, ask more questions how the growth should look like in the future. So it's a quality discussion uh, that uh, adds up to the quantity. So it's not enough when we focus on 2021 how much we will grow, but how we will grow. And here, I think the priorities of the European Union, which is the new Green Deal and digitalization, are really a core of the answers that we need here. And Luxembourg will definitely uh, point to these developments to organize its growth. Now, luckily, uh, on top of that, we have a large 
financial center. And also here, the two elements of digitalization on the one hand and uh, uh, what I would call sustainable finance will play a, a bigger role. Uh, I have insisted a lot over the last couple of years uh, that those are the two priorities that we should foster. On the one hand, make sure that we are a champion in fintechs, and we've been good at that, and uh, also in the context of Brexit, have been able to attract quite a few companies. We can be considered the hub of e-payment uh, in Europe. We have to continue into that direction on the one hand. And second, sustainable finance. We've uh, also pioneered lots of areas here, uh, including with European Investment Bank. And uh, we have the Luxembourg Stock Exchange, who is the champion uh, of sustainable bonds. So the discussion of quality is more important today than ever. Over the course of the last four years, uh, the decision by the British people to leave the European Union has also caused uh, a number of ups and downs and uh, lots of discussions. The COVID crisis seems to have put that a little bit on the back burner, but it is still there and the negotiations are still ongoing. We don't know yet at this stage where they will end and thus we do not know what the uh, future relationship between the European Union and the UK will be. Um, but where do you see uh, the UK and the EU as well as Luxembourg and the UK uh, working together in the future once everything has uh, been settled? First of all, it is important to underline that the negotiation is done by the European Commission on behalf of the 27 countries, members of the EU, uh, with the UK on this topic. Uh, Luxembourg has advocated uh, in the forefront uh, before agreeing on the mandate that uh, the negotiation should be as wide as possible and cover a lot of ground. Uh, financial services are unfortunately not in the core of the discussion, but they play an important role in the background, I would say, of this negotiation. Um, what is key is to find the golden mean between uh, ensuring that the European Union uh, doesn't uh, become hampered by the fact that it has a dialogue with the United Kingdom. In other words, that we are independent in deciding what we want to decide uh, specifically, for example, in, in the single market, we should not and cannot be slowed down by a country that is not a member anymore. On the other hand, take into account that the United Kingdom has been a member of the European Union for nearly half a century, and that for the time being, if we do a picture now, has the same rules and regulations in terms of single market as we have. So the point of departure is different uh, than with the discussion of a third country. So uh, if we have a positive spin on this, this should uh, cover um, the ground and help us find smart solutions and transforming the wide bridge that we had between the United Kingdom and the continent when the UK was a member, transform it at least into a footbridge. Now, to achieve that, there is different ways. There's a discussion on how the dialogue uh, should take place in terms of single market regulation in the future. And second, how can the rules and regulation that exist in the UK in the future be declared equivalent to those that we have on the continent? Now, this uh, equivalence system has existed in the past for third countries and was uh, not so much in the limelight and uh, was rather informal. 
the United Kingdom asked for a more ambitious and formal uh, equivalent system that should be and could be discussed. But obviously, it depends on the full picture of the relationship that the United Kingdom will have with Europe. And I think if the United Kingdom insists to 100% of being totally autonomous, even independent in all the things it decides, uh, it will have less leverage uh, on the discussion of equivalence. Minister Graminia, you have been uh, Luxembourg's finance minister for uh, six and a half years, nearly to the day. Um, in this time, what achievement are you most proud of? And what was your biggest challenge in this period? Uh, this question about what has been achieved uh, uh, should be uh, asked and uh, answered by uh, others than myself. But uh, trying to be uh, a little bit objective, I think that there are a few elements that I can put in the forefront underlining that a finance minister can do nothing on his own and alone. He uh, needs to find a consensus in the government. And uh, what we have achieved altogether in government is to ensure that Luxembourg keeps its AAA rating. Now, some consider that a very abstract thing, but uh, people who are in the world of uh, finance know how crucial that is. Today, there's only 10 countries in the world left that have a AAA, and uh, we should uh, value that as being quite an achievement. And it has only been possible because we took measures that were not popular back in 2014 and 15 to ensure that we would stay on a healthy financial path for public finances. And uh, the second thing uh, that I would like to highlight is the whole issue of uh, tax transparency, exchange of information where Luxembourg has normalized uh, its position compared to the rest of Europe. We were an outlier a little bit there and that had hurt our reputation quite a lot. Now, as a result, our reputation today as a financial center uh, is much better than it was. We are, have become mainstream. And maybe as a paradox, I would say the fact that we have embraced automatic exchange of information, not only inside European Union, but at the level of OECD and other countries in the inclusive format, the fact that uh, we have um, implemented the anti-tax avoidance directives one and two, many were afraid that that would lead to making us less competitive. I tend to think that it has made us more competitive. Many uh, critics said that Luxembourg was thriving as a financial center because it had loopholes in taxation, because it was not uh, doing exchange of information or slowing it down uh, at an international level. And today we know that that were not our key advantages. Had that been so, we would have uh, major problems. In fact, the Brexit uh, situation has shown that we are quite attractive, having been able to convince uh, quite a few players, over 50, uh, to come to Luxembourg to set foot on the continent, to have a, a subsidiary here and take advantage of the EU single market. And uh, so I would say the reputation uh, that we have improved is certainly a key advantage today for us. Mr. Graminia, um, 
The next elections will be held in October 2023. That leaves you a little bit more than three more years uh, in government. Three years during which you will be able to continue to shape Luxembourg's financial services industry and the role Luxembourg plays in the global financial services industry. How do you want to go about it? How do you want to use that time uh, at your disposal? First, I think it is important to underline that Luxembourg has uh, come out of the sanitary crisis up to now in a reasonably good manner, both in terms of health and also in terms of financial stability, because we had room of maneuver to uh, make sure that uh, the, the crisis uh, can be weathered uh, with uh, s social measures uh, like short labor and others um, in, in such a way that people do not suffer too much. Uh, that underlines that political stability on the one hand and the AAA are key advantages not only for today but also for the future. Now, uh, obviously, uh, we've been uh, forced uh, to go on international markets uh, to uh, support these measures and, and uh, take up loans, uh, but we had more room of maneuver than others. But on the other hand, uh, we, we need to also focus on having uh, financial stability and, and uh, sound public finances in the future. Now, uh, a natural thinking that comes to us in that context is to know what's going to happen in terms of taxation. Now, I think for the short term, uh, it is key uh, to uh, assure uh, enterprises and, and physical persons that we will not raise taxes, neither for persons nor for enterprises, because that's not at all what you need in a time of recession like this one. Second, uh, is there room of maneuver for tax alleviations? It's too early to answer that question. We need to see what the economic rebound will be. But another thing we have to keep in mind is that uh, if there is a rebound and there will be one, we also need to uh, look at and uh, concentrate on the quality of the growth. That means that tax decision and tax alleviation that we might decide, we should keep uh, the sustainability issue in the forefront and, and make sure that what we decide is specific and encourages our economy to go uh, towards uh, respect of nature and also uh, climate change. And last but not least, incentives should be given to all those who want to innovate and digitalize, because digitalization is key, not only for the financial center, but for all the other parts of the economy. So you see the tax reform that is in the planning, is in the making, will be impacted by the COVID crisis because we will certainly have a more targeted response to uh, the issue of competitiveness of our economy. Minister, whenever you are not in charge of government affairs, um, what is it you do? I suspect uh, somebody uh, like you with your curiosity also likes to uh, spend his time reading books. And so we wanted to ask you, what was the last book that you have been reading, if you want to share that with us? Yes, in the COVID crisis, there are two things I did more than usual. Uh, one is cooking. Uh, uh, to the, the great satisfaction of my wife. And the second one was to read a little bit more. And I'd like to 
to spend a, a, a few seconds with you on a book by Amélie Nothomb called La Soif in French means thirst, being thirsty. And uh, this book uh, is quite interesting and obviously reveals the personality of this uh, writer who is from Belgium and was uh, born and, and raised in Japan, where I also had the opportunity to meet her. And this lady um, has this uh, aptitude to look at things from a different perspective. Now, the book uh, that I'm talking about, uh, about first, uh, La Soif, is a, a totally original way of describing uh, the life of Jesus Christ, starting uh, with the wedding where he transforms water into wine and where the, the, the couple that gets married uh, in the beginning of the book, instead of praising the fact that he transformed water into wine, complains about the fact that he did it at the very last minute and nearly spoiled the feast. And he could have done it right in the beginning and everybody would have been much more relaxed. So, you see, perspective matters. Now, this COVID crisis, I think, has changed uh, our state of mind in many ways. And the way in which we look at the future, in which way we would like to uh, have growth, we would like to transform our lives, is different today than three months ago. So that's why I love that book. Minister Gramenia, thank you very much for taking the time to share your views with uh, our listeners. It is very important in these times of uncertainty to be able to get the, the insights of people like you who help to shape finance. Thank you also to our listeners who uh, have tuned in to this very maiden edition of our podcast. In our next episode, we will be discussing with Miles Selic, uh, my counterpart from London, the CEO of City UK, the industry-led buddy representing UK-based financial and related professional services. We are looking forward to um, hearing his insights into how the UK is addressing current challenges, which obviously include the, the current COVID crisis, but also issues around Brexit, around sustainable finance, around fintech and around globalization as well, to discuss the future relationship with uh, London in general. If you would like to be up to date and don't miss out on one of our latest episodes, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Google. You can also find more information on our website, Luxembourg for finance.com. 